chapter 6, Mark chapter 6. We're going to jump right in to the word this morning. So Mark chapter 6 and verse 30. Here we go. It's one of my favorite stories. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his disciples didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns, they ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up to heaven, and blessed them. Then he, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so that they could distribute it to, to, to share. And he also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed from those loaves. Amazing story. This is one of my favorite miracles. I don't know which one of your... What's your favorite miracle in the Bible? I mean, there's some cool ones. I mean, we've got the Red Sea parting, and that would be pretty awesome to walk through and just to see, you know, fish and whales and whatnots in the, in the water beside as you walk through. I'm kind of impartial. Maybe it's the junior high boy in me that I like the story where Jesus actually spits on the mud and makes mud eyeballs. And the guy sees. That's just kind of a cool story to me. There's amazing stories, but this one... This one is pretty cool. 5,000 people were fed. But it's not just 5,000 people. It's just 5,000 men. And so we're talking about the families. Scholars say maybe fifteen to 20,000 people. And, and I wonder how Jesus did it. I mean, just think about it. Was it like he's just breaking bread and all of a sudden and just like, I got nothing up my sleeves. But here it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. We're passing it out. I just, wow. I wish that I could have been there that day. But the truth is, this story really isn't about, it's really not about food. It's really not about eating. It's about something, it's something much bigger than that. This is a story about what the kingdom of God looks like. And that's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. And Jesus is painting this picture the kingdom of God is like. And sometimes he shows us those pictures through through teaching, through parables, through stories. Sometimes he does it through, um, like we talked about last week, kind of people watching. Here, take a look. Look at this woman. Look what she's about to do. Take a picture of that because that is the kingdom of God. And here he's doing it through a miracle, an amazing miracle. 
But for us to really appreciate what's happening here, we need to take a few steps back in the journey to really see what's, what's happening. So if we look back, we're, we're only six chapters in into the book of Mark. And Mark, or Jesus, has, has chosen these disciples. Now, one of the, the, the things that I love about Jesus is this, is Jesus chooses maybe the least likely people to be his followers, his disciples. Like, you remember that horrible moment where they're picking teams and you're on the wall and then you have like the people that are the least likely people uh, that, to be picked. I love that moment. And I, I sometimes when we've done this with, with picking teams with teenagers, I'll say, I'll whisper in the ear, ear of one of the captains, I want you to pick the person you'd pick last first. And something happens when that happens. When that person is picked, they immediately go, me? Me? You, you're pointing to the right, right person, me? And that's kind of the disciples' experience. It's like, well, let me get this straight. You want me to follow you, Jesus? Me? I'm, I'm kind of the person that di didn't make it. I'm the one that's back home and just trying to pay the bills. And, and I wasn't the top of my class. I, I wasn't the, the person, the captain of the teams. You're choosing me? And that's who Jesus chooses. And then six chapters in, what does Jesus do? He sends them out in, into the world. He sends them out, and he gives them very specific instructions. He says, go two by two. You're going together in pairs. You're going out together. I don't want you to take a thing. Don't take a thing. Just take a staff, no food. Don't even take a change of clothes. You can take your sandals, but not even a change of clothes. And this is what I want you to tell the people. Go out and share this good news. The good news is this. Turn away from evil. Repent. Turn away from evil and turn toward God. And then he gave them this power, amazing power, power to exercise. I always go like Jim Carrey when I say this, exercise the, the demons here, to cast out the demons. Why does that jump in my mind? To cast out demons, to heal people. But, but before this is all going down, they have to be thinking, are, are you serious? I, I'm not really qualified to do this. Have you ever felt not ready to do something before? I'm just not ready for this. I'm not, I am out of my league here. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I hope no one finds out that I'm just kind of putting up a front here because I'm in a job that I don't know what I'm doing here, okay? This is what the disciples are at. Melanie and I, we met at a campground in Colorado. And Colorado is beautiful, amazing. It's God's country, without a doubt. And one of the jobs that we had, we were counselors during the summer for junior high kids and senior high kids and, and children. And there were amazing things to do at this camp from, from rappelling to uh, they had whitewater rafting. They had uh, just all kinds of hiking, all kinds of beautiful things to see in Colorado. During the summer, we actually uh, installed a zip line uh, through the, 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 the mountainous kind of area. This is not that zip line, but <laughs> you'd be very impressed with my construction skills. Uh, and that is not me there. Um, but it was a zip line, and it, it started off on the top of this hill, and it went down, I'm going to guess, I probably dropped about 100 feet down and just went down the mountain. I mean, and when you're at the top, it's I mean, your eyes are huge, and, but you zip line through. Have you ever, has anybody ever done zip line before? 
All right. So my job was, my job at times, I would go up to about, so it was about two and a half, two stories up, up a tree. You had to climb up the tree ladder. And then I would, I was kind of the repeller person. You'd put them in the D-ring and then you put them in the, the you know, they got their harness on. Everybody's got a wedgie from that harness. It's terrible. Uh, and the kids will come up the tree. They get up. I clip them in and then one, two, three, whoosh, and they go down. Okay. Ah. Um, so kids would come up. Some of them are, are kind of brave. If you've been there before, you know it's like from the bottom, you have tons of courage, okay? It's easy. Everybody can do it. But once you get to that ledge, you're like, <gasps> your knees are a little shaking a bit, and you're getting a little nervous. So that would happen a lot, especially with the young kids, okay? And so we get these young kids up there, and they are just terrified sometimes. And you're trying to encourage them. It's going to be okay. It's going to be great. You just got to go off. And, and sometimes kids would just, they would get up and they would chicken out. And they would get, and you don't want that to happen because that's all in front of everybody because there's a long line at the bottom and just not a good moment. And so you're really trying to coach these kids up and really trying to get them off that ledge. And occasionally, I'm just, I'm not saying that I necessarily did this, but occasionally, you might just need to give a kid a little bit of extra encouragement, okay? And when that moment would happen, it's the shock hits them in the face, but, but about, about, about 10 feet down the line, this is totally wicked, ah! yelling, screaming, joy. And this is what's happening here. Jesus has kind of kicked them out, and they come back, what's happened? Jesus, you're not going to believe this. It was awesome. People were saved and people were healed and amazing things happened. And Jesus is like, uh-huh, uh-huh. He just has that look on his face like, like I, I, I know. <laughs> I know. Isn't it great? One of the best moments you can have is when someone takes what you have taught them or what you are encouraging them to do and they get it. And it, it, it makes sense, and it connects in their life, and they, and they live that out, and suddenly the light bulbs, they go off. That's Jesus' moment. He's just, he's, he's there with them. And, and what's happening, they, they've come back from this. They, they've come back from this, but while they were gone, the Bible kind of tells us that something else happened. While they were out, there, there's this little paragraph that says that John the Baptist, hero of, of the faith, he was actually killed by this, this evil king at the time, King Herod. And John the Baptist, he was a forerunner of the gospel. He was the one that was telling people about Jesus before Jesus even showed up. There was going to be this guy. He's going to be amazing, and he's going to change the world. He announced it to the world. And so here is this, this, this great person, this great hero that they, they've lost. And so there had to be questions that were, that were swirling. Who's going to take his place? Who's going to fill those shoes? And so Jesus does something that's very wise. He says, let's get away. We need to get away. We need to retreat. We need to rest, which is, which is, is good, good uh, wisdom for all of us. When you're giving and giving, you need to take some time to, to recharge your batteries. You need to connect with the Lord. And this is what Jesus would do often. He would go away to, to remote places. He would spend time in prayer, and he would go back out again. So Jesus takes the, the, the disciples, they get into a boat, and they go across the sea. And they're like, okay, we're going to get away for a while. We're just going to take a little, little R&R, connect with, with God, retreat. But something happens when they land on the other side. They're met with this massive 
crowd of people. We said maybe 15, 20,000 people are now out in front of them. And so what does Jesus do? Does he say, hey, we'll catch you next Sunday. Uh, We'll be back. No, I love this verse. It says this, Jesus saw the huge crowd. This is Mark 6, 45. He saw the huge crowd and as he stepped out from the boat and he had compassion on them. Now, this is one of my favorite Greek words in the Bible, this word for compassion. We've talked about it before. It's this, it's not just like, I feel sorry for these people. It is, I am physically at pain. And and what the Greek is, the inner bowels of your being. Physical pain, like the insides want to come out. That kind of pain we're talking. That's the kind of compassion that Jesus has. And I think a lot of times when we're flipping through the channels and we see things that move us, that, that break our hearts, we have some of that kind of compassion. But something happens in us when we turn the channel. Man, I feel sorry for them. Click. Click. But Jesus doesn't do that because this is a different kind of compassion. It's a compassion that pains you into your inner being. Something, somebody's got to do something, and he does something. He looks at them, and he says this, this phrase. What does he say? He says, they are like sheep without a shepherd. They are without sheep. They were sheep without a shepherd. Keep that in mind here. Now, this area that they're in, just a little bit of background, the place, it's kind of rural Galilee. And this area is known for people to be what's called zealots. Now, zealots are extremists. They are extremely gung-ho about what they believe. And, but they're, and they're even, they're, they're so mad at Rome. They're so mad at the people that are ruling the day, uh, the government that's there that's not uh, Christian. They're, they're, they're not God-fearing. They're actually monotheistic. They believe in multiple gods. And so they're so mad at this. They want to, and they're so mad at the oppression that they go and they turn to violence. They're constantly turning to violence. And in fact, the history tells us that, that somebody would show up and, and try to lead them and try to lead them on a revolt. And these revolts always ended the same way, bloody and, 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 and pointless. They, they led to nothing. And so these leaders would show up through history, and they would rally the crowd. Let's go charge Rome. People would, be in, would end up dying, and, and nothing happened. And so when Jesus says, these people, they are, are, are sheep that are in need of a shepherd. They need someone to really lead them. There's, a, there's several movies that I stop on when I'm flipping the channels. We've talked about this a little bit before. There's just movies that you just have, you just have to stop and watch just a few minutes of. Just to, you, know, I gotta, you know the movie so well that you can watch at any point in the movie. There's movies like that from, I love Shawshank Redemption and, and Gladiator, if these are on TV. And I love the movie You've Got Mail. It, it's, I know, I know. Sadly, Garen and I were quoting it back and forth to each other this week. Uh, there's this movie, uh, I think it's Kevin Klein, Dave, that I, it's just, I watch that movie when it, if, if I'm going through. There's another movie that I find myself stopping on. I know it pretty well now. It's this movie with Michael Douglas and Michael J. Fox, uh, I think Annette Benning maybe, uh, American President. Have you ever seen that one before? There's some, some good dialogue in there, but there is a quote that is just, I mean, it just jumps off the screen every time I watch it. I, and I just, I will wait until that quote comes because they're having this conversation. And, and Michael J. Fox, they're going back and forth, he and uh, Michael Douglas. And he says this, they're talking about leadership and, and what it means to be a leader. 
And, and Michael J. Fox says this, in the absence of genuine leadership, they will, people will listen to anyone who steps up to the microphone. They're so thirsty for it that they'll crawl through the desert toward a mirage. And when they discover that there's no water, they'll drink the sand. That's how desperate people are for a shepherd. And when you look around, there's a lot of people that are desperate for someone to step up to, to the microphone of their life. I see it everywhere. Maybe you see it as well. People who have given their lives to a distorted image of what meaning and purpose and where those things are found. They'll, they'll, they'll do anything. You see it now. They'll do anything to be famous, to be liked, or to get likes. They'll, they're even willing to hurt themselves or to hurt others so that they could get so that people can get attention. And all of this, this, this whole thing is all about glorifying. It's about glorifying me and me being known, not about him being known. There's these bad images all around, people that are looking for direction, people who need someone to step up to the microphone. And you see that with marriages. People that have just horrible images of what relationships should look like. They don't look anything like a 1 Corinthians 13 relationship where there is love is patient or kind. It's not self-seeking. That's not what a lot of relationships look like today. They have images that instead look like, I want to use people. I'm going to hurt people. Not intentionally, but it's there. And then when, when that relationship's done, let's just discard the relationship and it's over. We look around and we see a fatherless generation. 43% of kids today don't have connection or don't live with their parents or their, their, their father. 43% of kids don't live with their father. And we're seeing that the trickle effect of what that looks like. We, we see kids, we see boys that don't know what it looks like to be a real father, to be a real man after God's own heart. We, we see daughters who don't know what it means to be respected or appreciated or what it really means to, look, to be loved by someone and by a father figure. We're seeing in recent poll people that are, are choosing not to have any faith at all because quite honestly, the pictures and the voices that they've heard from Christians don't look anything like what people are living out. People are saying one thing and living another way. And so there's dwindling numbers there. I see young people all the time, and they chase after people. They chase after things, chase after stuff. And when they get those things and they get down the line, maybe it takes a couple of years or maybe it takes it many years, they realize that what they're holding is not water, but instead it's sand. And they go. Look at my life, the destruction and the pain and the hurt that was caused through just following the wrong voices, following the wrong voices. Everyone follows someone. Question is, who are you following? And maybe another question is, who is following you? Who's following you? So Jesus, he's moved in his inner being, and he's, he steps up, and I, I want to teach. I'm going to teach these people, and he begins to teach he begins to teach, and, 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 and the disciples, they come to him and say, listen, Jesus, this, you've been teaching for a while now. I mean, you're, you're being very pastoral, okay? Uh, the sermon is gone now for a few hours. 
And we're in a remote place. And the people are hungry. And can we just be honest here? There's probably a little bit of, if you remember back at the very beginning, there were so many people at the beginning coming and going that they didn't have time to eat. Okay, so here in the story, they've got to be thinking, I'm hungry too. Okay, I'm hungry. These people are hungry. I'm hungry. Why don't you send them away? Why don't you send them away? Then Jesus turns to them and he says this. It's an amazing, amazing statement. You feed them. You feed them. So what's their response? I love the NLT version of this. It says, with what? (laughs) With what? Got an exercise for you this morning, okay? It's going to take a little rhythm. Do you have a little rhythm? Do you have a little rhyme? All right. Little rhythm. Very, all right. Here we go. This is your wake-up portion of the program, all right? I know you're looking at me like I'm crazy. You got it in you. Are we there? You guys do have rhythm. There's a pattern here. You feeling that pattern? This is not dancing. It's okay. It, it might be dancing, but. All right, we're going to take it to the next level, okay? It's a game we play. I'm going to call out. You keep going. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to call out a name on the snaps, okay? And that name is going to receive it, and then they're going to call out another name. Are you ready? Can we handle this? You are afraid, aren't you? You are afraid. Here it comes. I got to find the rhythm. Mike Carr. All right, let's stop. It kind of went here, and then it went over here, and then you were afraid, weren't you? You're a little nervous, all right? All right, there are patterns that we have in our life, okay? There are patterns. We all have these patterns, okay? Some have become kind of subliminal in our minds. You have a pattern, I bet, when you wake up in the morning. There is a pattern that's like, okay, somewhere in there, there's probably showering, teeth brushing, uh, hopefully uh, deodorant putting on. Uh, If you're like me, I'm big with the Q-tips. There's Q-tips involved. Uh, Hey, I'm just saying, I like clean ears, okay? (laughs) So there are many, many, and you have to get the right kind of Q-tips, but that is a side note. Um, Q-tips, there's uh, breakfast, there's got to be coffee somewhere in that equation, okay? And for a lot of you, it's like it's the same rhythm every morning, right? Okay, rhythms are good. Sometimes rhythms, you have things that, habits that are good habits that you have. Some of you would like include flossing into that. Maybe exercise and whatnot, but there, there are patterns in our lives that are, that are good. There are some patterns that are good, but are, there are some things that aren't so good. There are some patterns that lead to ruts, and we have ruts in our life, and our culture would kind of shape us into these patterns. We think about this, this word pattern jumps out immediately, Romans 12.1, don't conform any longer to the patterns 
of this world. There are rhythms in this world that are trying to take us to places. And, and here are some of the pa- cultural patterns that you would hear. There would be something like this. The world revolves around you. Okay, Basically, everyone has their own Truman Show. Okay, the world, everyone else is just merely players in your game. Okay, it's, it's, your, it's your game. It's all about you. Mind your own business. Have you ever, that just come up into you before? You, you want to say something, you want to do something, it just jumps up? Nah, I should just mind my own business. It's a rut for us. What's good for you, it, it, it might not be so good for me. What's, what, what I think is right might not be right for you you know what? You've got to take care of yourself first. You know, instead, we have a world full of people that say, you know what? I, I'm just going to do my own thing. I, I don't need to be a role model. I mean, listen, you determine your own truth. Ruts, patterns. And, and maybe this, I think this is like Matthew 55, 22. God helps those who help themselves. By the way, that's not in the Bible. There's no 55 chapters in Matthew. But we believe that, don't we? We think, you know what? You help yourself. I'll take care of me. You take care of you. We'll all be good. And we get caught up in these patterns. And, and we realize that there are ruts in their hearts and their lives where we're, the, the, the world is, is created in us. And some of us get into patterns in our day that we're so busy with the things of our schedule and our life that we miss what God is doing right in front of you. And that the kingdom of God wants to explode into your life and do amazing things in you and through you. But if you're so busy, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. What happened just a couple of, what did we talk about at the very beginning? These disciples, what did they get? They got sent out. They got sent out into the world, and we're knees trembling. But what Jesus, I, I believe in you. And when they came back, what words? You're not going to believe this. Jesus, what happened? And they were amazed at what God did through them. But what happened in this moment where Jesus turns to them and says, now you feed them. They went back to default mode. They went back to this. With What? With what? So what's Jesus' next question? What's his question? He says, what do you have? What do you have? I saw this on Facebook this week. A friend of mine, Jerry Gardner, uh, is in ministry. He's, I'm, I'm trying to guess where he's at now. I'm, I'm thinking, help me out, North Carolina. He's been in Ohio and Florida. He posted this, and it just kind of jumped out at me. What if we made audacious requests of God on behalf of the lost, the broken, the poor, and the needy? What if we ask boldly for God to work through the earthquake, the famines, droughts, and injustices of the world? What if we prayed for the persecuted Christians and those facing death because they dare name the name of Jesus? And what if we are the answer to those prayers? You feed them. It reminds me of the C.S. Lewis quote, and I think it's C.S. Lewis. He says this, oftentimes I find myself praying for things when I should be doing something. I should be doing something. With, with what? We, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough food. I don't have enough talents. I don't have enough this. And if I did have this, maybe then I would, if I was more gifted, God, if I, then I could do this or then I could do that. 
if I had more Bible knowledge, if I knew more about these disciples were as green as you can get. They didn't need to be in church for years and years and years, and then I'll go and I'll make a difference or I'll make an impact on, on someone else's life. What do you have? Maybe we're spending more time looking at what we don't have instead of what we do have. Instead of what we do have. Uh, we were in Florida in ministry in our, for several years, and we lived in this parsonage. Melanie and I did. This is pre-kids, and it was like a little shoebox, extremely small. And when we were living in this, this place, we, we started making these lists. Oh, we can't wait. Cannot wait till we have a place of our own, a place that we can paint the walls. That if we want to chop down a tree, we'll chop down that tree. If, if we do this or that, we can do whatever we want to. This is our house. And we dreamed about it. We made lists and things. We, we moved to Houston, and I'm like, okay, here's the possibility. We might be able to do this. Uh, we were in an apartment for a while, so the shoebox shrank, and you really don't want to paint and do things because you're not going to be there very long, and, it's, and it don't feel much ownership there. And then possibility opened up. We can, we can get a house. We can potentially buy a house. We talked to the best real estate agent in all the land, and uh, he was helping us out in this, this journey, and uh, we started making lists. Okay, we want a big backyard, and we want a playroom for the kids to play up there, and we can be down here, and the toys can stay up there, and Four, I think, you know, three bedrooms would be, four bedrooms would be great. We can have the kids and the, and, and so you, all these things came about. High ceilings, woo, high ceilings. Yeah, we want those things. So you, you, you give those things to your, your awesome real estate agent and they say, well, okay, your house of all these things you're going to have, it's going to be about a million dollars. Okay, we're going to have to take a few things off that list, okay? And you go to these houses and you start to compromise and you, and you realize that you're not going to get everything that you want. So you have to say, okay, I'm going to take this and this and this. Okay, we get in the house now. And I've got to be honest, the first several years, it, it, was, it was hard. I constantly was looking at the things that we didn't get on our list. Man, our backyard is so small. I mean, we can't fit a trampoline. If we had a trampoline in our yard, like somebody would bounce on the trampoline and go to the neighbor's yard, okay? <laughs> All right, that, that's our, our backyard. Our ceilings, I mean, like if I jump, boop, I'm hitting, the, I'm hitting something up there, okay? And the rooms, we have the playroom, so that's great. But the kids, they come downstairs a lot. Uh, <laughs> stay up there! <laughs> and so our lists have totally changed. Like things that we really thought we wanted, they, they've changed a little bit, and now the list is, is different. And I found myself a lot of the times going, man, man I wish I had this. <laughs> I wish I had a house with that. Man, why didn't we get this instead? It, something popped in my... I went to the pantry one day, and my wife, I have to tell you, she's a much better Christian than I am. Uh, and I know that you know that, but... Uh, she, she put a little, she does this a lot. She, she will put little verses or little things around the house. And so I go in the pantry one day, and there's just this little note that said, thank you, God, for the things in this pantry. Which is very, I mean, you just think about, oh, well, thanks for the food, yeah. But it just, for some reason, that, just, that thought jumped into mine and began to bore around a little bit and say, oh, my goodness, God, I'm so ungrateful. God, I am constantly looking at the things that I don't have. And I think that there are people in this world that live there. 
They live in these places of what they don't have in so many different areas of their life. And it tortures them. It tortures them. And it makes them feel envious and jealous and, and angry. And their self-esteem is lower. And they're consumed with, with the things that are, are not the things of the Lord. And it just it brings us down and it distracts us instead of the things that we have. And can I tell you something? You have so much more than you think you have. Are you hearing me today? You have so much more than you think you have. Now, I could tell you about, well, we're the, probably the richest country in the world, and, and we make more than anybody, and we have more money, and we could talk about money and food and stuff, and we have all that, okay? We are. Uh, if you think that we're poor, we're not. We are by far. Compared to the world, we are extremely rich. But we're not even talking about that today. We're talking about gifts and talents that you have. You have so much more than you think that you have. God has given you so many great things that are there. And, and more importantly than maybe all of those things, what did Jesus send out the disciples at the very beginning? He sent them out with nothing but what? Him and his influence on their life. See, we have something in us. We have this power. We have this spirit, this gift that God gave us. He talks about it in Romans 8. He says this, and Christ lives within you. And even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. And I hope that you have a story today. I hope that you have a story today that says something like this. I was lost, but God found me and transformed my life. And now I am different and I am a different person. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. Did you catch that? That Spirit that, that busted open the tomb and raised Jesus up, that same Spirit lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give you life to your mortal bodies, but the same Spirit living within you. So what did Jesus do after that? He took five loaves. What do you have? All we have are these five loaves and these two fish. He took these five loaves, and he had them organized, getting groups, 50 and 100 smaller groups. Let's break this big mass down to smaller groups. And he began to break. He took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. Remember those words. He took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. And who did he give it to? Did he give it straight to the people? No, he gave it back to the disciples. He gave it back to the disciples so that they could give to these people. Now, cool thing, very cool thing. How many baskets are at the end? Remember the story? Twelve, exactly, twelve. Now, there's another story about feeding of the 4,000 that you might read about. And this is actually such an awesome story. It's in all four Gospels, the story is. It's the only story that's in all four. Feeding of the 4,000, there's instead how many leftovers? Seven. Seven. You know you're having Bible trivia today, but seven, okay? Seven baskets. Now, this Greek word is totally different. The seven from the 4,000 story, these are man-sized baskets, huge baskets. See, that's a story about food and about feeding, and we need food for all and the food for the world. But this isn't a story about food. This word, 12 baskets, it's quite different. In fact, the Greek word here is actually a lunch-size basket. 
Now, when I was growing up, a lunch pail, very small lunch pail-sized basket. When I was growing up, did anybody have these growing up? My mama loved these things. Uh, we, we had them different colors, different shapes, different styles. And di- for different uh, holidays and things, we have like, you know, red, white, and blue for various things. And you'd put the paper plates inside. So when Jesus says, go and collect the leftovers, and they get 12 baskets, the disciples that were at the beginning of the story hungry, each have a plate to eat. And at the end of the story, when you give and when you serve and when your life is poured out for others, you are full. You are filled. And not with just bread, because this isn't a story about bread, is it? John, John tells us this when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never go hungry, but will be full. I will be full. Now, when I organize uh, sermons, I, the way I was trained to organize sermons is this. You break it up into four parts. Uh, this is, I'm just going to give you like preacher secrets uh, 101 here, okay? Four parts to a sermon. First part is this. You find the problem in the text. Like what's going on? What's wrong in this story? What's, what's happening? What's wrong in the story? Second part is, well, okay, if that's what's wrong with the story, what's wrong in the world? Look around the world. What, how does this apply to the world? Why See the parallels between the two. Problem with the text, problem in the world. Part three, you find the grace in the text. What's the good news here? Well, the good news is that broken and everybody are full. Praise the Lord. It's I mean, what a miracle. So what's the grace in the world? It says, wrestling with this, the uh, grace in the world, the good news in the world. How do we see this lived out in the world? It became pretty obvious to me on Friday. For many of you, uh, you probably already heard that we lost a, uh, a hero uh, of the faith uh, this last Friday. Uh, someone that many, many of us uh, looked up to, uh, John Snyder, went home to be with the Lord. You know, and it's oftentimes we don't see the, or realize the impression that people make until down the line of the story. And years have passed. But I think we've all sensed that to anyone that, that knew John, the, the impact that he made. You know, and I've loved hearing the comments and the stories that have been shared, uh, things that have been shared on, on Facebook and things that I, I've heard and I just want to share a couple of those things uh, with you. I love Mike Carr's quote. He said this, there, there are giants among men. And John Snyder was proof of that. Tracy said this, you, you took me and my boys under your wing and you treated us like family. You watched my sons grow into young men and watched me grow in life. You were a mentor and a friend. Kara said this, we have all become better human beings from knowing John. John was not only, uh, Scott said this, John wasn't, a, Steiner wasn't just a good man. He was a man of God. And not sh- I'm not sure how many young men and women were influenced by John's ministry or were called into God's service through his ministry, but his influence played such a great part in my life. Michael said this, celebrating the life of a much beloved man, John Snyder. 
I wish I had more time to sit at your feet and to know you more. I have the highest respect and admiration for you. You are an incredible role model and will be dearly missed. Joanne said it this way, it's hard to estimate the number of people influenced by John from the high-pitched laugh to a good old, oh Lord, one of my mentors and, and, and the place he wanted to, is now in the place he wanted to be. Thank you, John, for your wisdom, your encouragement, and your walk of faith. Rachel said this way, I wish there were words to explain what an impact you have made on my life. I sit here thinking of all the times you changed me, challenged me to be a better person, and you probably never knew it. I think of it all the time. You pushed me closer to the Lord, and I never knew, and you never knew I was watching. I have told Travis many times I want to grow up to be like John Snyder. There's, there are some common words that you're hearing in this stuff. And when you hear stories, there are words like impact, influence, mentor. And you're seeing what now is just the ripple effect of a life that is given, it was given to the Lord. And he gave it to the Lord and the Lord, what did he do? He multiplied it. And it influenced Hundreds, thousands, who knows? And what did he give us? He gave us a picture of a man that deeply loved his family. Who deeply loved his wife. So proud, 52 years, it's pretty amazing of a man that loved his church. He was so proud of, of this place. He was there uh, when this place was nothing. And you looked over a field and people had a vision of, of what God could do. He was a mentor to kids. He was an example to so many he came in contact with. I used to call him, uh, I would say, pastor, mayor, mortician, house builder. He had so many titles. It's amazing. You know he's a mayor of a town? Did you know that? The city of Waxahachie, he was a mayor. He, he was so many different things. And for a long time, he ran uh, funeral businesses. But every place he went to, it wasn't a job. It was a place that he could impact the lives of people. And you saw that you're hearing that in stories. You're seeing that with pictures. People that he took under his wing and said, this is the way. Hey, you need a microphone? I'll step up. I'll show you what it looks like. You see, Paul, he says this, it's gutsy. It's really gutsy. He says this, follow me as I follow him. And that's what John did. That's what John did. Follow me. I'll give you an example. I'll show you what it's like. I'll show you what it looks like to be a grandfather or a dad. I'll show you what it looks like to be 
a man after God's own heart. Hey, I'll even be a father for you if your father isn't around. And he showed us a picture of a man who deeply, deeply loved the Lord. And maybe we saw it even even more clearly in the last few years as he battled cancer. He posted this uh, several months back now. Jackie and I met with the oncologist on Wednesday to review the CT scan he ordered last week. It's been four weeks, months since my last scan. He started the meeting by saying the scan shows multiple tumors on my lungs. All this since June 1st of this year. Not what we were expecting since my lungs were clear in June. He said, while it's not curable, it is treatable. And I start chemo Monday at 8 a.m. Life's road has lots of turns in it, he said. One thing we know for sure, God is in control. And he does all things well. This I know. The only, re- the only really important things in life involve our relationships with one another and him. That's the most important things in this life. That you love others and you love him. He walks with us every step of the way and he is walking with us now. This is the last thing he wrote, God is good. One of the things I love the most about John is one of the things I love the most about Jesus is that people and he sees things that we don't even see in ourselves and he speaks hope and truth and wants so badly he wants so badly for us for the light bulb to go off and for us to get it and so he believes in people oh he was a great man and we're going to celebrate his life even more this week on on Thursday and Friday. Back to the story. A couple of things. There's this odd thing in this story. They said they sat down on, when the people sat down, they sat down on, you got to catch this, green grass. You remember that in the story? You might want to underline that. Green grass. Why in the world would they tell us that? Okay. Well, it's weird. Now, some scholars would say this. It's maybe a reference to like Psalms 23. He lays me down in green pastures. But most people say this, that only a certain time of year that the grass was green in this, time, uh, in this place. And that was during the Passover season. Remember the Passover season? That was the season where Jesus, he gathered in a place. just days before, just hours before, he would go to a cross. And he gathered for the Passover meal with his disciples and he broke the rhythm of the night. He broke the the moment because there was a certain way you did things at Passover. And he says, we're gonna do things a little different tonight, boys. And what did he take? He took some bread. And 
what did the story tell us? He took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. And that night, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. That's what Jesus did with his life. He gave it for all of us so we can experience his grace and his mercy and his love. This morning, we've ordered things a little different, and we want to give you a chance to to spend some time with the Lord. We want to give you a chance to worship and to connect and to recognize who God is. When we spend time and we worship him, we're not talking about watching. We're talking about worship. We realign our hearts and our lives to the one that created us. We recognize the one that deserves praise and honor is not us, folks. It's him. It's him. And so this morning, we're going to sing a few songs, and then we're going to go to the table together, and we're going to remember what Christ has done for us. But I invite you this morning, make your place around around you this morning. I pray that you would make it a place of worship today, a holy spot where you and the Lord have an encounter together. Would you do that this morning? Let's stand. Let's worship our Lord.